Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you.
The book of Jonah at the back of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is beloved, of course, for children's books. Here's Jonah the prophet being swallowed by a whale or a big fish. It's an entertaining book for sure. There's some humor in it, positively. In your Bible, it has four chapters, but it barely covers two pages. And today we're going to read from the end of that Jonah story. And it's very interesting contest that occurs between God and the prophet. So the setup for this reading from the third and fourth chapters of the book of Jonah uh, are the city of Nineveh and the people there and how they chose to change from their wicked and evil ways. I'll say a word about that in a few minutes here, but let's uh, first hear this reading beginning with Jonah's third chapter and the 10th verse. When God saw what the people of Nineveh had done, how they had repented and turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that God had intended to bring upon them. Now, this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew you were ready to relent from punishing others. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of it, where he waited to see what would become of the city of Nineveh. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a hot eastern wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked again that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it okay for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yep, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished the next day. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and the same with as many animals? That's the close of the book of Jonah. So what I want you to think about now, as you listen to this message, is this struggle or this contest between the character of God and this interesting little prophet named Jonah. So, take a listen if you would. Well, we have this entertaining story of Jonah, which is first and foremost about his attempt to flee the presence of God, to run away and hide from God, which we know is an impossibility, and you may have discovered that uh, in your own life. We know this story is has some sailors pitching 
Jonah off the ship in some high seas because they wanted that storm to end, and a, a whale or a large fish swallows up Jonah, and they're in the belly for three days and three nights. He prays to the Lord, and the whale belches Jonah back up onto the land to deal and contend with God again. But in the second instance, the story is really about a classic struggle between God's patience and compassion on the one hand and Jonah's righteous indignation and anger and impatience on the other hand. And these two square off over this Nineveh situation, this great city of Nineveh. And that's where we pick up the story today. Nineveh was a great city in the ancient world. It was the capital of Assyria. And the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they hated the Assyrians. They despised the Assyrians. Like every great city in ancient times, Nineveh was a mix of the best and the worst of all possible worlds. It was full of culture. It had the best schools and the best hospitals and the best theater and music. It had the latest technology. It was a great place to live, O Nineveh. But it was also full of people with crazy lifestyles and the most corrupt politics and the most blatant immoralities and the worst violence. It was a terrible place to live. It was a nest. It was a cauldron of violence and atheism. And God couldn't stomach that violence. God couldn't bear humanity's brutality one to another. We're not told what sort of violence it was exactly that infuriated God. Was it the economic violence that trampled the rights of the poor? Was it military violence? Was it gang violence on the street? Maybe it was a mixture of all those things including some domestic violence with husbands abusing wives. It was a violent civilization. God sends Jonah into that city to announce its demise, to announce to those Ninevites that God is finished with their sick society. So Jonah, he takes his prophetic role seriously, and he lets the Ninevites have it. He just tells it like it is. He preaches damnation with fire in his belly. God's going to wipe the city off the map. God's not going to put up with Nineveh anymore. God's angry as hell, and Nineveh will, in fact, be finished off. Jonah goes at it. He proclaims 40 days. Do you just watch? On the 40th day, you're toast. This godless, this atheistic people of the East, they're done for. So Jonah, he steps aside, he sits on this little hill, he watches and he waits for that 40th day, that awful day, and nothing happens. The sun comes up, the mail carriers and the street sweepers are back at work, the kids are playing Little League again, the dance of the city goes on. What happened? Well, two things happened. First thing is the city changed which is absolutely incredible, that this wicked creation of sinful people converted. 
And it all began with the mayor. He takes off his royal robes and he dons sackcloth and has ashes poured over his head. And he orders all the same for all the people. And they dress in sackcloth and have ashes poured over their head. Even the cows were ordered to wear sackcloth. So people are cutting up burlap to wrap the torsos of these heifers and these Holsteins so they can be doused in ashes. Ordinary people repented. They stopped assaulting each other in Nineveh. They put away violence. This is amazing. The men stopped mistreating women. The people stopped using the First and the Second Amendments as weapons. The sex trade collapsed overnight. The people fasted. Whole flocks of sheep fasted, we're told. It was a new royal policy against violence. It was issued. Nineveh was a changed place. There may be a moral to this story, by the way. I don't know. And that could be we should never give up on cities. It may be easy to abandon them and not fund them or to mock them for not being safe like a rural community, but cities are redeemable. Just as those 120,000 Ninevites decided to give up their wicked and violent ways. But the second thing that changes is not just the city of Nineveh, it's God. God changes God's mind. One day, God's saying, the clock has run out, the dance is over, time is up. And the next day, after God sees these Holsteins and heifers wearing sackcloth, God says, no, let Ninevites live. Let the women give birth. Let the young people dream dreams. Let the dance go on. This all happened, mind you, because God's compassionate purpose, let's remember, is to heal hurt and to save lost and lonely people and to liberate captives and to reconcile alienated and unhappy people, and to build a kingdom of peace. This is the purpose of God. So God relents. God does not inflict suffering. God gives breathing space to humanity, and history goes on. Jonah, for his part, is hopping mad. He is seething. He feels God has made a fool out of him, that he was ordered to proclaim disaster to this city, and God changed God's mind. So guess what? The ego of Jonah collapses. He feels like a false prophet. Worse, though, his anger runs even deeper. He wants a world where the bad guys get what they deserve. It's a world where God's mercy is reserved for good people, you know, like, like, like us. And God's justice is owed to those other people. The undeserved blessings of God, they're only supposed to go to deserving people, right? That's a lie, at least I think we tell ourselves often. And so Jonah's is morally outraged. He wanted to answer the violence of Nineveh with the violence of God. And how and why can you ever trust God again when God lets compassion 
get the upper hand over moral judgment. So what does the angry prophet do? He moves to the suburbs. He buys a house with a swimming pool in the backyard. He never particularly liked the city anyway. So he quit this prophet profession, and he decided, I'm going to relax poolside. I'm going to enjoy my life. God explains his new Nineveh policy to Jonah there in his deck chair by poolside. And God says, you know, I'm getting some bad vibes from you. You want to talk about it? Jonah says, yeah, I do. I I knew you'd go soft. I knew you'd go soft on those Ninevites. I just knew it because I knew you were a God of, of a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But I thought that was just, you know, language for worship liturgy. I didn't know that that's the way you would act. God says, so why are you angry with me? And Jonah, he doesn't answer. He just moves even further out of the city. In self-pity, he finds his place on a hill. He can see the city in the distance. He's going to sit there and pout, and he's going to hope that maybe that city will implode. I wish I were dead, he says. I wish I were dead. Better for me to, to die than to live. God's thinking, well, maybe Jonah will understand me if I throw an object lesson at the guy. So God appoints a bush. You don't plant bushes if you're God. You appoint bushes. God appointed a bush to grow up over the little bald head of Jonah so that the sun wouldn't bake the guy. And there are people who are getting PhDs in biblical scholarship to this day wondering what kind of species was that bush? But Jonah was very happy, and the next day God appointed a worm. Worms don't just live in the soil. God appoints this huge and hungry worm to eat the bush. In a matter of hours, the leaves of that bush were gone. Now the little bald head of Jonah wasn't so happy. He had grown to feel like he deserved that bush. It was his bush. And Jonah says, basically, this stinks. I'd rather die than be alive, burning up out here, with Nineveh going no place but forward. God says to him, seriously? You're going to get angry because you thought that bush was yours? I'm the one who appointed that bush, and I'm the one who took the bush away. Jonah says, yep, a third time. I'd rather die than live. If I can't have that bush covering up my head and keeping me from fainting. And God says, you're obsessing over that little bush? And you can't see why I have compassion for 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh? Here's the deal, folks. Jonah saw only wickedness. And God saw people. Jonah saw violent power structures, and God saw these weak and ignorant people who didn't know their right hand from their left hand, we're told. Jonah saw evil and was indignant, and God saw people 
and was compassionate. This is why we are here. This is why we prize the faith that is ours, to drink the spirit of patience from a compassionate God, to worship a God who is less compulsive than we are, a God who puts up with the world's full of wrongness and hardened hearts and is always giving people a chance to give up their self-righteous ways and come home. God's compassionate patience may be the answer to your personal impatience and mine. That we not give up so quickly when things go wrong. When our relationships stumble and we fumble. When our kids don't mature in exactly the ways we thought they would at the pace we imagined when the troubles in our own lives embarrass us. What if God gives us the grace to imitate divine patience? What if that's the case? Jonah said to himself, as he also said to God, I knew I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were bounding in steadfast love. I just knew it. I just don't know exactly what to do with it. Well, we do. God's compassionate patience may be just the answer we need to our own personal impatience. Amen.
please join me in prayer as we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. You know, the world has an abundance of all kinds of things, and you know plenty of them and plenitude in your own life. But one thing there's never enough of, and that would be compassion. So be that love to any and everybody you may meet this week. And the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and yours always. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.